0: It's time for the best coverage of the top stories in sports. The Sports Wrap with Jason Page starts now. Yes, indeed. This Monday, November 13th, 2023. I am Jason Page. Nick Ferguson's going to hang out with us here in a couple of minutes. The weekend in the NBA, odds and ends. Do some college football with Nick, but we start out uh, in the NFL, and the more we think we know Nick, the less we actually do. That's that. That's just what I continue to come up with. Now things are starting to crystallize in a way um, where we're, we're starting to to get a sense of you know who's going to be there at the end of the year and who isn't. But I thought I had Baltimore figured out. No, I thought the Ravens were a team that last week I put them in my contender list, not just as a contender to win the division, which obviously they could, but as a Super Bowl contender. And then Cleveland comes in this weekend, uh, gets the win in Baltimore, comes from behind to do it. There continues to be this bugaboo for the Ravens of not being able to hold fourth quarter leads. It's not just a problem this year. It's been a problem in previous seasons as well. Uh, We saw what Houston was able to do uh, against Cincinnati on the road. Jacksonville, obviously, the struggles at home against the Niners. What was the biggest takeaway for you from Week 10 around the league?
1: Well, the biggest takeaway was that the Houston Texans have found their quarterback. After years and years of searching, especially after Deshaun Watson and the -the off-the-field issues led him to donning a Browns uniform, CJ Stroud has come in and revitalized that fan base. And just think about it. He was one of those quarterbacks coming out during the whole draft process that analysts, some analysts, that is, I don't want to generalize, kind of attacked because the S2 cognitive test was showing him an 18 percentile, and they wanted guys an 80 percentile. All I know is the guy is a baller. And I know there are a lot of those tests that, are supposed to predict how well the player is going to play. And I'll tell you that's not true. I mean, when you look at the old Wonderlick test, Dan Marino didn't score high on the Wonderlick test like a Ryan Fitzpatrick. But if you, if I were to ask you who's the better quarterback, I already know what answer you're going to give me. So C.J. Stroud continues to make great strides. And when you think about that team, you have rookies showing up, Tank Dell showing up. Noah Brown showing up, C.J. Stroud, and oh, by the way, Devin Singletary, who everyone thought was kind of thrown to, to the trash, man, he had 150 yards on the ground. So that Texans team is the biggest surprise thus far of the season.
0: I got to be honest with you. I remember talking with you during the offseason, and look, I got I to gotta take a bullet, so to speak, for this one, metaphorically speaking, because when D'Amico Ryans took that job, and we were talking about where D'Amico Ryans could land, I was one of the first people that said, no, everything that had gone on over there over the last few years with coaches losing their job after one year, I thought it was the worst possible spot for D'Amico Ryans to land. Who would have thought with a rookie head coach, a rookie quarterback, Mm -hmm. it's sort of a gettable division, but still with the, the combination of those two things, this is not supposed to happen, Nick. It is not supposed to happen this way.
1: Well, no, it's not, because usually when you have a rookie head coach, quarterback, and offensive coordinator, things never look this great this fast. Now, fast forward, see what the sophomore season's going to look like, we don't know, but as right now, they're playing great competitive football. And I could listen, I was trying to tell you back then, knowing D'Amico Ryan's the way that I know him as a co-worker working with the 49ers and as a teammate working with him, you know, as a member of the Houston Texans, there was something special about him. But a success for a rookie head coach comes down to the ownership, believing in you. And it was a it's it's a great story. Cal McNair, who's now t- taking over as owner of the Texans, he was there when we were there, but he was alongside of his father, Bob McNair. And and what better way to have a guy you drafted and Demeka Ryans come back? to a state in the city where his wife is from to lead your organization. So unlike Lovey Smith and some of the coaches before D'Amico Ryans, they were going to give D'Amico some time. And that means you needed to have patience. They're doing a great job with C.J. Shroud. They're building that team basically just as though the championship team had kind of mindset and pedigree was for the San Francisco 49ers. There is a blueprint. And they're trying to follow that blueprint. And right now it's paying dividends because coming into that Cincinnati game, I don't think even Vegas gave the Houston Texans odds to do what they did yesterday.
0: Former NFL safety, Nick Ferguson hanging out with us here on the sports rep on this Monday. uh, After the the Houston Texans made a huge statement going into Cincinnati and beating the Bengals uh, on a last second field goal. Um, move away from them to Jacksonville because Jacksonville was a a big favorite to win that division going into week 10. But what a lot of people didn't realize, and our own Sammy Arnell talked about this, I talked about it last week with Matt Verderam. the way the schedule works out in the second half, Houston has a much more favorable schedule to potentially win this division than Jacksonville does. Jacksonville playing the 49ers, that was just the start of a crazy gauntlet they have to run between now and the end of the season. Do you think Houston can win the division?
1: There's a strong possibility, but what you are suggesting is that the Texans kind of run the table, if you will. But I'm not gonna sleep on Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence, and that Jacksonville Jaguars team. They were just overwhelmed by a San Francisco 49er team that were both teams coming off by. And Kyle, when you look at his record as coming off the bye, has been, you know, pretty decent. And they didn't want to lose another game. That was really disappointing. And You get Debo Samuels back. That was a huge part of their offense. And before that, Brock Purdy, who was the bell of the ball for the NFL, he, he didn't look Superman-like. He looked more Clark Kent-like. And there's a basic recipe when you think about the San Francisco 49ers offense. Put the ball in the hands of your playmakers. Yards have to catch. Let them work. Don't make any mistakes. It's an easy recipe to win games in the NFL. And now you got Nick Bosa on one side and you got Chase Young on the other side. Makes it really difficult to be able to be efficient as a quarterback, as we saw Trevor Lawrence kind of suffer. And Travis Etienne, who's been spectacular this season, especially with fantasy numbers, I mean, he wasn't able to get into a rhythm and, and hey, give Steve Wilkes uh, credit defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers by keeping Trevor Lawrence and that uh, Jags offense off balance. But once again, Jacksonville, very talented team. I know the Texans beat them early on in the season, but I can't wait to see that second matchup because for me, What what you're suggesting could be a possibility, but I think that game, that next game between the Texans and the Jags will determine who wins the FC South.
0: I know there were a couple of outliers yesterday, so a couple of high-scoring games, but it feels like this year, and this has to put a smile on your face, it feels like there's a return to defensive football. I mean, the teams that we all talk about as potential Super Bowl contenders, we're not talking about them because of huge offensive firepower. We're talking about them because of outstanding defenses, whether it's Baltimore, you know, yesterday being sort of an outlier game for them, whether it's Kansas City, a team like Jacksonville that up until yesterday had been a top 10 defense. You look around the league and it's about defense again. And it almost feels like while it took a few years for players to sort of catch up to the rule changes that the the, the, the league implemented to try and make it a more offensive-minded league, it feels to me like the defenses have caught up, defensive coordinators have caught up and gotten to the point where they've started to figure out how to work and massage these new rules that the league put in to try and make it a more offensive-minded league.
1: Well, let, let me correct you for a second, uh, J.P., It's always been about the defensive side of the ball. That's why the cliche saying is that you cannot win a championship without defense, and your run game and your defense must travel. So defense wins championship. We leave all those uh, statistical record-breaking games for the regular season, but the defense shows up in the postseason. The defense never disappears. What we see every single year after a bombardment of defensive players against the offense, we see the competition committee get together and they change the rules to better help the offense because they feel, you know, you know what? No one wants to see a baseball score type of game. They want to see butts in the seats. Fantasy owners want to see points on the board. And knowing as though the league has those sports betting partners, it's all about points. But we see the defense is saying, not so fast, we are not going anywhere. You build up these quarterbacks, we break them down. Just think about the Cleveland Browns and the way that they played defense. They were a part, a huge part, Miles Garrett and that crew, as far as the Browns coming back and winning that game against Baltimore. Defense is so important. You mentioned Kansas City, right? I, overseas in Germany, I believe the game was. They showed up against Mike McDaniels and high-powered Miami Dolphin offense that everyone thought, hey, listen, they're the next greatest show on grass, not (laughs) turf, but that shows you the defense is a great neutralizer or the perfect deodorant for any offensive unit that's used to putting up massive amount of points. So it's always and will be, J.P., about the defense.
0: Uh, the Josh Dobbs story. I mean, it's, it's just, it's crazy, you know, and it just goes to show you sometimes when opportunity, uh, meets a little bit of luck and, and they sort of converge and mm-hmm. you get a guy who has some talent and is sort of growing into the position. All of a sudden you look at Joshua Dobbs, the guy looks like a world beater out there. How do you explain a guy like this being overlooked for so long? and being able to have the impact he's having right now in Minnesota.
1: Well, that tells you a lot about the evaluation process, because going into it, there there are scouts and talented evaluators who have their frame of mind of what the perfect quarterback looks like. Hand size, mobility, what college he played at, the type of stats he put up. But when you look at Josh Dobbs, all I see is a football player. I mean, you look at Arizona when he took over when Kyler Murray was out. What did he do? He helped make that team somewhat relevant again, so much so that his jersey wasn't in the team store, and then he had to put it in the team store. A week later, they traded him. He goes to Minnesota. Don't know anyone's name on the roster. Don't even know the playbook. He goes into Atlanta and wins a game, and then he does it again. That tells you the kid is very talented. And, oh, by the way, uh, uh, aerospace engineer, so you know – he is smart as all get out, but it's all about opportunity and having someone believe in you. And could we be on the verge of the Minnesota Vikings saying, "You know what? Sairenara, see you later, Kirk Cousins, we now have our guy because Minnesota paid Kirk Cousins a lot of money." but they didn't really get the return on the investment. If you're a fantasy owner, you love Kirk Cousins. If you are Minnesota Vikings fans, you feel "Eh," so-so about him because he's going to put up numbers. He's going to make you think like, oh, yeah, we have a chance, and then he's going to let you down. Josh Dobbs may have found his home, and Kevin O'Donnell might have just found his quarterback moving forward.
0: Former NFL safety Nick Ferguson hanging out with us on this Monday edition of The Sports Wrap. We'll come back with him, get a little more thoughts on the NFL, uh, particularly the Denver Broncos they take on the Bills in Monday Night Football, and a couple of college football questions as well. Don't go anywhere. Lots more to do on this Monday edition of The Sports Wrap. Lots of football to talk about on this Monday edition of the Sports Wrap. Sammy Arnell will be back tomorrow. Do a Monday Night Football recap with him. And if we're talking about Monday Night Football, we're talking about the Broncos and the uh, Bills, which we'll get into uh, with Nick Ferguson here in a couple of minutes. But Nick, uh, got to talk some college football, and obviously you're in Denver Um, So you've seen plenty of the Colorado Buffaloes who are the talk of the college football world after they won a couple of games to start the year. And now they're not even going to be a bowl team. They're not even going to be bowl eligible uh, by the time all is said and done, barring some miracle uh, with them winning their last couple of games of the season. Where are we? Another close loss this weekend to what? Arizona, I guess. Um, Yeah. yeah, you know, where where are we with this with this Deion Sanders led Colorado team? And, and and I know you're gonna tell me, well, last year they only won one game. But the expectations were risen. It, they rose when this team got off to the start. It did, fairly or unfairly. And when Dion, you know, goes out and says, Well, we're here. Not we're coming, we're here. Well, if this is here, this is not where we wanna be, is it?
1: Well, in all fairness, uh, he's actually right. You know, they are here. And I will reference the idea of winning one game last year, which changes a lot. And just think about what you said and how the country kind of reacted after the Buffs were able to win, you know, three games and have that 3-0 and start. Everyone was thinking, wow, this is great. And we haven't seen this much energy pumped into college football in a while because – it was hope, right? Everyone loves hope. The idea of thinking that something's going to change down the line. So they have surpassed everyone's idea of what they could be. Yeah, did the expectations rise because of the 3-0 and start? Absolutely. But to know football, you know that things don't always turn around the way that most people will hope that they would be. And once again, there's the word hope. So he injected a fan base who didn't really have anything to root for for the past couple of years, he gave them hope, something to cling to as a possibility. And even though they lost to Arizona over the weekend and they lost to Oregon and that was kind of the the anomaly when you look at the season, but the USC game, the Oregon, the Oregon state game, those were all games that, the Buffaloes were in and they could have won and should have won, but they didn't. But there's all kind of personnel issues that coach prime. Yeah. I wouldn't say with. should.
0: I wouldn't say should have won because I, I don't think from a talent standpoint, I don't think we're there where they need to be to win those games yet. Defensively. Obviously we've seen the struggles, the offensive line. I mean, they still yeah. need, they still need more guys I and mean, that's the bottom line.
1: But that's where the hope comes in because if you look at those scores. They were not like the Oregon no. score. That was, that was the only game all season long that you were like, man, they were never in that game to begin with. I mean, you look at the UCLA game. They were in those types of games. And know, knowing what we know, and you just said it, you look at the personnel issues and it starts with the offensive line. Mm-hmm. If you can be in games like that with Shador Sanders as your quarterback and almost have an opportunity to win, the mindset is, if Coach Prime is able to get the guys up front, that changes a lot of what we saw as far as being able to close out games because at the beginning of the season, they were a great second-half team, and then they became a great first-half team, but they have not really put four quarters of football together, and a lot of those personnel issues up front definitely makes that difficult. So there is a lot of hope in Boulder. There is there is a lot of hope in the CU Buffs fan base, that if Coach Prime can go out in the portal, get guys who can play up front, who are big, physical, and they can move their feet. That now I'm changing is the outcome in 2024.
0: Is Dion in this for the long haul? Do you get the sense, you know, he sells a great game? He really does. And I wanna believe he's gonna stay because I do think it's great for for Colorado football and good for college football at large to have Dion in the game. For whatever I think of him and the and the hype and the bluster and all that stuff, for whatever I think, it is a good thing for college football. But is he in it for the long haul?
1: Well, define long haul. See, that's the thing, and that was something that was a conversation yesterday, it was Saturday after the game. Another member of the media brought that same question up and asked them the same thing. Define long haul. Are we talking five more years, six more years, or are we talking three more years? For me, the realistic answer to that, I'm thinking maybe three to four. The idea is to get his coaches in the right position, set them up, also set up, you know, Shador, who I think is going to come back for another year and will be a top prospect in 2024. Once you get that out done and out the door, now whatever coach that you handed over to, and it could be a coach currently on his coaching staff, you put them in great a great situation you look at the revenue and how that revenue is changing that boulder area so much so the small pot warner uh jumbotron that they have now they're going to put 15 million dollars into the stadium and make it much larger that is the coach prime effect so if coach prime does decide to leave in two to three years he still would have left just like jackson state the program better off than he when, you know, when he walked through the door.
0: What do you make of the Jim Harbaugh suspension, the three games to end the regular season, uh, the advanced scouting? He's, he's been in all sorts of hot water this year. Now, the, the Big Ten says this is not a suspension of Harbaugh. He is serving the suspension basically on behalf of the, of the program that it's not really a, a suspension of him, but it's an indictment on him. It's an indictment that this is happening under his watch. I get the sense he's done at the end of the year. He's just going to say, you know what? I've had it. Especially if they were to win the college football playoff championship, um, I could definitely see him walking, saying, "I've accomplished what I set out to do at my alma mater." What do you make of the situation in Michigan? the The allegations, and you know, the the Big Ten suspending Jim Harbaugh, and where we go from here.
1: Well, the the first thing is when I think about sign stealing that has been taking place for for years as far as uh, guys being hired on college or uh, professional payrolls to listen, to watch the film, to see if you could pick up on any subtleties that you can use as an advantage in the game. But was this more
0: egregious in any way to you?
1: Well, it was a little because uh, I think it was Central Michigan that he was on the sidelines with. To me, it's like there's a bigger story here and only Michigan is just kind of being put out there on Front Street because how can you go to another college or university, stand on their sideline and pick up signals for the opponent and no one knows? I mean, to me... The bigger story is that's a security breach. How can you allow that to happen and say, well, well, we didn't know and this person should have known. So there is a deeper dive that we need to take into this situation and how things have come to this particular point. But to have Coach Harbaugh not be on the sidelines for a couple of games, I mean, it didn't really affect Michigan playing against Penn State this weekend because at the beginning of the season, he missed a couple of games because, I guess, self-imposed suspension on him early on, but the kids know how this works. They went out there and they played well, you know, for coach Harbaugh and the other coaches who were taking over. So it, it's kind of a, a black eye for college football when you really think about it, because here it, what we're seeing right now with Michigan is a lot of things that have taken place in college football that have never been addressed, but just so happens Michigan is the face of the black eye of college football right now.
0: Uh, the Lane Kiffin story from last week, the audio that emerged of Damn. him, you know, going after one of his players, now former player, throwing him off the team, kind of poo-pooing mental health, which is obviously a sort of a big no-no these days because we kind of all know the the significance that all sports have put on mental health, especially when you're talking about the collegiate level and, you know, sort of the the young age of, of, of college athletes these days. Do you feel like the Lane Kiffin story has gotten enough attention and, you know, with, with all the different black eyes and, and sort of the different things that have gone on around Lane Kiffin, is this just another one we, we just kind of chalk it up, put it in a column, or does this one carry more significance to you?
1: The reason uh, it carries more significance for me because it, it speaks to the importance of one of the basic things that we do every day is communicate. And, you know, we're in the communication business, and I know a lot of people who uh, don't really do that uh, typically well. So this is a situation where a coach and player needed to be on the same page. As a coach, when you find out that your player hasn't uh, been present at practice or whatever, you have to approach it in a different way. You don't know what's going on with that young man. So first and foremost, find out. Why was it that he was missing practice? What is it that you're going through? Are there some issues that you're battling as far as uh, internally with the team from an institution and education standpoint? Or is there something back home that is distracting you? Let's let's get that out of the way first, and then we can deal with everything after that. As a player, it is your job, and it's important for you to communicate to your coaches what's going on with you. And when we talk about – the, the basis of communication is about letting people know what you are dealing with. No one knows. No one has uh ESP where they can read your mind. They won't, they won't know. It's like in relationships I've been with um, been in in the past with uh, women I've dated, they may be upset and they may be upset with me because I don't know why they're upset. But if you never tell me what's going on, how am I supposed to know? So the idea is you communicate whatever you are going through emotionally so someone knows. And especially when in a situation like this, I would like to think that, you know, Lane Kiffin had an affinity for this particular player, but he mishandled the situation. And unfortunately for him and the institution, somehow it was recorded and it was released.
0: Uh, Before I let you go, talk about the Broncos playing better football, three and five, get the Bills tonight. Where are you seeing the biggest turnaround or or improvement in this Broncos team here over the last couple of games?
1: On the defensive side of the ball, obviously we go back to the Miami Dolphins game and everyone would love to burn that tape, but it's kind of burnt into our memory. But that was a game where a lot of guys – were very talented, they were not doing what they were coached to do. If you listen to the guys over their two-game winning streak, they will tell you the reason things have gotten back on track is because every guy is now committed, and I know it sounds strange, how can you be an NFL player being paid a lot of money and not committed? Believe me, it definitely happens. And oh, by the way, they had some guys who were dinged up who are now back into the lineup. So they're playing a lot of inspired football, but the bigger thing was, The management realized that certain veteran players that they thought they were going to rely on were not reliable as far as production and leadership. And that was Frank Clark and Randy Gregory. So they moved those guys out to allow some of the young players to come up and get more playing time. And that's been a huge difference for Vance Joseph and this Broncos team.
0: Is there a parallel between the Broncos? and Buffalo's in that both teams were just so bad last year and left in such disarray after last season. And you've watched Colorado and, and Deion Sanders get this Buffalo's team into a better position in a position to be competitive every week, the Oregon game, notwithstanding and what Sean Payton took on and, and granted a lot of people crushed him for the comments about Nathaniel Hackett and the, what this organization looked like when Hackett left that, that there was a lot of work that had to be done here. Is there a parallel between the Buffaloes and the Broncos in terms of trying to sort of um, make strides this year that put the team in a position to be successful beyond this season and for two and three years down the road?
1: Absolutely. There's a lot of uh, similarities from, you know, head coaches coming in, trying to revitalize uh, programs and organizations that were left for dead having two talented guys at quarterback in Shador and Russell Wilson, having offensive line protection issues for the Broncos and the CU Buffs. Yeah, there, there's so many narratives and similarities to uh, both of uh, these teams. But the great part about it is that both of these teams are in here in Colorado. And whether good or bad, people are still talking about both teams. Right, whether you like him or whether you dislike him, and you have two polarizing figures at the head coaching position. You have Prime, who's going – he's a master uh, motivator, and you have Sean Payton, who may not be perceived as being a master motivator like Deion Sanders, but he's going to say something that gets everyone to talking. So a lot of similarities, but the one thing that cures all – his ability to win football games, CU still trying to learn that as Prime tries to get the right personnel in the building. The Broncos are trying to do that at the same time, but they have an opportunity to change a lot of hearts and minds as far as what they think about the team, the quarterback, and the head coach tonight on Monday Night Football, as everyone will be watching to see what they are able to do on the road against Josh Allen and the Bills.
0: Yeah, the Bills have been a bit of an enigma uh, as we've gone throughout this season as well. Nick Ferguson, he does a great job on Denver Sports Radio Koa up there. Uh, the former NFL safety hanging out with us on the show. Let's not make it so long before we do it again. All right.
1: Hey man, just call me up.
0: <laughs> I stick. You know me. I'm a text guy. I'm not. I'm not a pick up the phone guy. I'm. I yeah. am the worst. I am the worst offender. I am the generation of the person who's just typing onto their phone. That's me. That's that. I know. I know. If I call you though, am I going to get a voicemail? Come on.
1: Well, it all depends on when you call <laughs> me, but you already said it. You don't call. So you could text me. So you don't get a voicemail. I wish I could give a, uh... Voice messages for text messages. That would be awesome.
0: Dick texted me this weekend at like 7 o'clock in the morning my time, and he's like, hey, I'm going to see your favorite football team, the Colorado Buffalo. You asked me what you, me what you were doing, and I said, yeah. going to watch lacrosse because your son plays lacrosse, and you're like, no, no, I'm going to watch Colorado. I said, I'd rather have a colonoscopy while watching lacrosse than to go watch Colorado football right now.
1: Oh, man. man. <laughs> You're at this game with Colorado and Coach Prime, man. It runs deep.
0: I'll tell you what. Next next year, I'll come up there and you could take me to a game. We'll do it right, and and maybe I could see what it's all about. Because i've I've only been to one big time college football game in my life. It was Stanford and Notre Dame. About 10 years ago, 10 or 11 years ago uh, in in Palo Alto. That's the only big-time college football game I've ever been to in my life. I went to a bunch of UConn games back when Randy Edsel had the team and they were good when UConn was, you know, about 13, 14 years ago when UConn was actually good at football uh, for the couple of years that they were. Other than that, I've never been to big-time college football.
1: Well, you know what? You come to see you Boulder, you never know who you're going to run into. I ran into Julius, the Dr. Irving, on the sideline. So, hey, who knows what 2024 may bring?
0: Good stuff. Nick, I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Talk to you soon. All right, we're coming back. A little NBA talk. The Warriors have a Stephen Curry problem, and it's not the Stephen Curry problem you think it is. We'll get to it next as we continue on the Sports Wrap. Continuing on this Monday edition of the show, thanks to Nick Ferguson for hanging out with us, talking all things football, former NFL safety, friend of the program. The Warriors have a Stephen Curry problem, but it's not the type of Stephen Curry problem you'd normally expect me to be talking about, where somebody's underperforming or not rising to expectations, struggling in the clutch, turning the ball over. No, no, no. The Stephen Curry problem for the Golden State Warriors is much different this time around. The problem is he is all of their offense. Stephen Curry's averaging 30 points a game through the first 11 games. I think he already has something like 630-plus point games in the early going this season. The problem is the team's only 6-5. and And the other problem is nobody other than Curry is scoring. Go and look at the numbers right now. Clay Thompson's averaging 16 a game. Andrew Wiggins is averaging 10. And Jonathan Kaminga is averaging 12. That's it right now for the Warriors in the early going. Just not enough offense surrounding Curry. Remember Chris Paul? Remember how big of an addition he was supposed to be in this offseason? Chris Paul's averaging 8 points a game. Now granted, he's coming off the bench. He's playing a different role. He's probably trying to adjust to that different role. But Chris Paul hasn't really been the answer so far that the Warriors were hoping he's going to be. And Draymond Green's been banged up. But where's Clay Thompson? Everybody thought off of last year, all right, he had the full season to sort of work his way back in, showed some signs in the postseason of the old Clay Thompson. But Clay Thompson's just non-existent. Yeah, he's hit a big shot here or there in the first 11 games of the season. But the days of Clay Thompson averaging 20-plus, where are they? It's asking too much for Stephen Curry to be able to carry everything for this offense at this stage of his career. It's one thing if you ask LeBron James to put the Lakers on his shoulders for large portions of the season, maybe because Anthony Davis is hurt or D'Angelo Russell isn't picking up the slack or whatever. LeBron is a large statured individual. He is a physical, he's a juggernaut. Let's be honest about it. Stephen Curry is not that. He's diminutive in size. His ability to carry a team throughout an entire 82-game schedule at this stage of his career, it's simply asking too much. And that's not an indictment on Curry. That's an indictment on the fact that the Warriors, Bob Myers sort of left after last season, they've sort of left Steve Kerr with this team that while it looks good on paper and it should be competitive and it'll probably be a playoff team, Doesn't look like much more than that. They decided, much against my recommendation, that they were going to go the route of trying to run it one more time back with the guys that helped them win an NBA championship. And the reality is, it's just not there. This 6-5 and start, I think, is indicative of what this team will be throughout much of the season. Again, tough Western Conference, Maybe they win 47, 48, 50 games and go, you know, 50 and 32. Nice season. Still helps fill the seats at Chase Center. It still helps to to bring in the fans and the dollars and the ad revenue and the interest. But all it's doing is prolonging the inevitable when it comes to the Warriors in San Francisco. And that is this. The run with this group is over. The only question now remains, will Curry stick around for what's next in Golden State? Or does he decide he wants to move on? They went and gave Draymond Green this deal. They parted ways with Jordan Poole. And you have to wonder early on, was that the right move? I get it. There's a long season left to play out. 71 games still left to play. And anything could happen. There could still be other moves made. Who knows what the Warriors will try to do to improve this thing if it continues in sort of the mediocre fashion that it started. But the one thing that's for certain right now in the early going is Stephen Curry simply cannot do it all alone at this stage of his career. All right, stick around. We're coming back. We got more to get to. Odds and ends. One guy hit a huge parlay in Florida as sports betting became legal once again in the state. Wait until you hear about how much money this guy won, and why I'm still going to recommend that you not gamble the way he did. That's next on the Sports Wrap. <laughs> All right, getting set to put the wraps on this Monday edition of the show. Odds and ends. Appropriately named for today. Because one guy played the odds and he won big. How about to the tune of $5.5 million? A sports better in Florida won $5.5 million on a 500,000 four leg NFL parlay with the newly reopened Hard Rock Sportsbook. Uh, when Texans kicker Matt Amendola hit a 38-yard field goal on the final play to give the Texans a 30-27 win in Cincinnati. We actually talked about it a little earlier on the show with Nick Ferguson. Four-leg parlay. Here's what the guy bet. The Texans to beat the Bengals. The Texans Bengals to go over 44-and-a-half. Running back Devin Singletary to score a touchdown for the Texans. And Singletary to go over 51-and-a-half rushing yards now look you hear me say it all the time parlay to lose this is one of those examples though that bucks the trend who knows how much this guy wins or loses on on the average day average week average month average year he won big and it made headlines on sunday night and monday morning but at the end of the day this is not a winning strategy when it comes to sports betting if you want to put a dollar on these sorts of parlays, I get it, you're throwing a half a million dollars. It's all relative to, to how big your stack is, how much of a, of a bankroll you have. But a half a million dollars to pay out five and a half million, it all sounds great. And when it goes well, it's wonderful, but I'd love to see what this guy's sort of balance sheet looks like at the end of the day, when you're making these kind of bets. Talk about it all the time. Uh, Sam's on the show tomorrow. I'm sure we'll talk about it with him. Uh, Sam Yarnell, our our friend from SportsGrid. You ultimately have to make smart wagers. I'm a one-and-done sort of guy. Even if I like multiple bets from the same game, I'll just place them as single bets. I am not a parlay guy. But to this guy, $5.5 million, huge money, sounds great. I just wonder sometimes if it sets the wrong example as it relates to people out there, sports bettors out there, that are going and and making their wagers on a weekly basis. They see this guy win big and they think, hey, I can do that. No, you can't. Nope. It's going to wrap it up for us on this Monday edition of the show. Sammy Arnell returns tomorrow. Thanks to Nick Ferguson for hanging out with us from KOA in Denver, the former NFL safety. I'm Jason Page. See you back here tomorrow on the Sports Wrap.